The Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, right? And so we're talking about the reliability of the Word of God. And uh, we've been looking at this uh, the past couple weeks here. Um, We know that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. In other words, it's given by God. It's not man's ideas. Uh, It is uh, the words of God, and that's one of the reasons why we can trust it. Uh, But we've been looking at these um, facts, these inerrant facts. Again, when people say, well, how do you know that the Bible is the Word of God? It's one thing for us to say, well, God says it is, right? I mean, all throughout Scripture, thus saith the Lord, right? Here's the words of the Lord. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's, it's one thing for Christians to be able to, to just say, well, the Bible, you know, the Bible claims to be the Word of God. But how can we prove that? How can we prove that the Bible is the Word of God? And so uh, two weeks ago, we were looking at a couple different things. Uh, we were looking at the flood. Um, how the different rock layers uh, and things like this with the, um, uh, the uh, marine fossils uh, on mountaintops, uh, things like this, obviously uh, evidence of the flood. We talked about the Moabite stone uh, that they found that talks about uh, really basically Second uh, Kings, Second uh, Kings chapter 3. Uh, with um, King Misha of uh, Moab and, and all that transpired between him and Israel. And, of course, he, he, he wrote that in his own words on the Moabite stone there. I mean, that's almost, I mean, it's not verbatim, but uh, the same story is written, both we find in Second Kings chapter 3 and this Moabite stone that is, th- uh, you know, thousands of years old. And it's, it's right there. It shows it. Um, we talked about, um, let's see, we talked about uh, Belshazzar. Uh, and Nabonidus, um, uh, again, many times, uh, for many years, people said that Daniel was not part, could not be part of the word of God because there was no evidence of anyone uh, who was king by the name of uh, Belshazzar. They had uh, Nabonidus as king, uh, but then they began to find some things. Uh, in fact, here is a, um, a clay cylinder uh, that actually um, is written in um, Babylonian and it actually has the name Belshazzar on this clay cylinder where, again, they said, well, there's no, there's no historical evidence of Belshazzar. Um, and yet, so Daniel can't be, can't be true. Um, but yet, as they do archaeological digs and things like that, they continue to find uh, evidence that proves the Bible is true, right? It's not the Bible proving archaeology is true. It's the archaeologists that are proving that the Bible is true, as it always has been, Right? Um, and so we talked about those, some, some of those things. And so I, uh, I challenged you to find something, maybe try to find something throughout these uh, last two weeks, um, that, something similar to this that proves the reliability of the Word of God, right? Who did it? All right, BJ, yes. So I spend my days studying soils and what's beneath our feet. Ah, Uh-huh. And of course, it's been the petrified forest of that area. It's very dry and arid, sandy, and not a whole lot of plant life. But what we learned about the petrified trees is that basically all these chunks of rock that are there now were, were trees at one time and then buried all of a sudden and inundated by water. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Right. Yep, absolutely. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a, in just a few minutes, right? Anybody else? That's good. Billy. Good. Very good. Really? Interesting. Wow, that's interesting. Right, yeah. 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 Right. Mhm. Mhm. Right. Yeah. And Josephus was a Jewish historian. Yeah. Yeah, he was not a he was not a Christian. Right. Mhm. Yeah, great. Very good. Awesome. Somebody else? Miss Rachel. You know what kind of dinosaur it was? A big one. A big one. <laughs> That's good. I was just I was wondering if it was, you know, if it was like a T-Rex, the probably the footprints were of a guy running, you know. But uh wasn't sure, you know. Okay. Good. All right, anybody else? Brian? Yeah, this is in the British Museum. 
and it is Hittite art. And again, for many, many years, they said there was no evidence of a nation by the Hittites, right? Um, and yet now they're not only finding writings, but art and things like this of a Hittite nation. Amazingly, pretty much exactly like God said, right? Um, yeah, very good. Anybody else? The Dead Sea Scrolls? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Chinese language, one of the oldest languages, and some of their, I don't know all of it because I don't know anything about Chinese, but their drawing or word or letter, whatever they call it for, uh, the number eight. No, is it uh, the eight or the boat? I think it's, one of those. yeah, I know what you're talking about. Is, mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting, especially when you look at all the different cultures. Um, I think we kind of talked about this when we were going through talking about the flood, how all these different cultures have some type of um, account of some flood taking place, right? Um, not, just a, not just a little flood, but of a big flood. And there's always the same number of people. Eight. Eight. Always eight people, right? Um, and again, we're not talking about cultures that are even close together. We're talking about cultures that are so far apart. Um, and so we find those as well. Um, even Israel, right? Uh, even Israel. Um, Israel was um, basically said that there was no uh, record of the Israelites, you know, up until a couple hundred years ago or whatever. They really weren't uh, a nation. Um, in 1990, Frank Yorka, he was an Egyptologist, uh, the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago. Uh, he used hieroglyphic clues uh, from a monolith known as the Mernatef steel to identify figures in a Luxor wall relief as ancient Israelites, right? Uh, and this, this steel is dated 1200 BC. Again, we're talking 3,000 years ago, right? 1200 BC. Um, and it celebrates a military victory by Pharaoh um, over Israel. And basically, it, in, in this steel plate, it says, Israel is laid waste. Now, again, to be able to have a nation tw- in 1200 BC, they would have had to be in existence even before that, right? Um, so, again, you have all kinds of, uh, of different um, uh, proofs uh, about this. One of the things that... Um, that I really like, and some of you may have, uh, may have heard of these things. How many of you know what a polystrate fossil is? Anybody know what a polystrate fossil? I thought BJ might, might know about this a little bit. A polystrate fossil, anybody know what that is? No? Wow, I feel cool. <laughs> a polystrate fossil, yeah. So a polystrate fossil are where rock layers... Uh, around the world um, are obviously, you, you have rock layers all over the world, and uh, they cover large portions of continents, uh, even multiple continents. Um, most rock layers were either laid down, you, there's, there's two opinions, right? Either rock layers were either laid down slowly, or they're evidence for millions of years. It's, it's one or the other, right? Or they're deposited catastrophically, um, 
in just a massive, you know, a massive amount in a quick time. So it's either slowly over millions and millions of years, which that's what the evolutionists want to say. All these rock layers were formed millions and millions of years. And so just like they would say the, the tree circles of a tree tell you the age of the tree and things, they try to say the rock layers tell you the age of the, the earth. And so you can see all of these different ages and stuff like that. Um, the problem is polystrate fossils. A polystrate fossil, and these are found around the world, are fossils that required multiple layers to bury them. There's multiple layers of burial in these polystrate fossils. In other words, a polystrate fossil looks like this, right? So this is a tree. This is a fossil of a tree. But notice how many different rock layers this tree is, is through. It's not just one rock layer, right? Right? There are multiple rock layers that this tree is through. Now, again, if, you're, if we're taking the evolutionist theory that each of these rock layers is a million years, I mean, there's no way that that tree could ever be fossilized in these rock layers because by the time the lower, the lower part is fossilized, the tree is dead and there's nothing going to be at the top, right? And so these... The, these these polystrate fossils are in multiple layers of the rock levels. So again, if you have millions of years and it's a slow, uh, a slow process of these rock layers, the, we got a big problem here because these trees cannot be fossilized that way. Um, and just like what BJ was saying, the, you have these uh, large deposits, even these, uh, these fossil graveyards and things like this, where you have just massive amounts of fossils and things. You have these polystrate fossils. Again, the, the problem is that if you believe that these took millions of years to be deposited, well, that's just not going to work, right? Um, you say, well, how does, how would, how would you get these layers then of rock level if this is a single tree, and, and, and the, again, these are found all over the world. Here's another picture of another one. Uh, again, you have all these different rock layers in this tree. Um, so how, how did all these rock layers form? How did these rock layers form? Um, does anyone know what hydronamic sorting is? Hydrodynamic sorting. I love using big words. I don't know what they mean. But I, I, they're just really cool, right? Hydrodynamic sorting. Anybody know what that means? Brad? Um, kind of. A little bit. A little bit. Anybody? Uh, yeah. Man, you guys are hitting it really good here tonight. It has to do with water and mud. That's, that's really good. Yeah, that's good. So hydrodynamic sorting is the settling of sediment particles, right? Now, what happens is you're going to have clay, you're going to have sand, you're going to have gravel. You're especially again, when you think of, uh, when you think of the flood, the Bible says that the, the, the fountains of the, the deep were broken up, right? You're going to have all of this, uh, chaos, not only going on above the water with the, the rain and everything, but you have all this chaos going on under the water with all of this, uh, the, the fountains of the deep being broken up and all of this. And so as, again, how long, we know it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, right? How long was Noah actually in the ark, though? It was longer than 40 days and 40 nights, right? It was over a year that he was in the, in the ark, 
So what's happening after you have all of this upheaval and turmoil and everything that's going on under the water? Well, all of that eventually has to settle, right? So how does it settle? That's what this hydrodynamic sorting is, right? You have clay, you have sand, you have gravel. And what happens is they begin to settle in distinct layers based on size, on weight, on density, on circumference. And so what begins to happen? You have heavy particles, heavy things are going to drop first, right? And then not so heavy things are going to drop and then not so heavier things are going to drop. And so what happens is you begin forming these rock layers, right? And that's how you can have a, a, a fossilized tree in multiple layers of rock because rock does not take millions and millions of years to form as evolutionists try to say that it does. Um, it, it doesn't, right? Uh, and so as you have these fossilized trees and multiple layers of rock, again, it simply proves the reliability of the word of God, exactly what God says, that there was a flood. Again, it would make perfect sense with Noah's flood. So guess what well-observed phenomena is found all over the earth? Hydrodynamic sorting. You begin to fe- see all of these different rock layers, and that's why you'll find these uh, these fossilized trees and things. Um, in, in many places around the world, um, you find rock layers that are curved and bent. You ever, you ever seen pictures where rock layers are like curved and bent and things like that? Well, what happened? What causes that? Um, well, yeah, there's a shift there. Uh, again, the evidence implies these layers were laid down, again, in quick succession not over millions and millions of years, right? But in quick succession and then bent together before they had time to dry and harden. And then once they dry and harden, then you have those, you have those bent layers and things, okay? Uh, and again, just like what Brother B just said, there are billions of dead things, right? All over the world, these fossils, right? Fossil graveyards and things buried in rock layers. Um, and they are laid down by water, um, because you have the floods that are taking place everywhere, right? Um, but the dead things do not turn to fossils unless they are catastrophically and rapidly buried to protect them from oxygen, bacteria, and scavengers. That's why you can have pictures of like these trees that are uh, fossilized in things because they were buried so quickly. Um, they are, there's no oxygen able to get to them in things. And, and again, I don't understand the whole fossilization process. Brother BJ could probably uh, explain that a whole lot better uh, of how that, how that all transpires. But that's how you get um, tree fossils in multiple layers of rock. That's how you get, um, you know, fossils of a fish eating another fish. And it's like, bzz, there it goes, right? It's done right there. That's it. Uh, that, that's how these fossils uh, take place. And so, again, just over and over the evidence uh, just continuing to prove the reliability of the Bible, right? What about, what about flat earth? <clears throat> now, again, if you're a flat earth person in here, don't get mad at me, right? Um, but we don't, believe the Bible, we don't believe the Bible teaches a flat earth, right? Um, again, it was a common belief in the Middle Ages that the earth was flat, right? It was just a flat earth. Everything was flat. And if you went too far, you're going to fall off the end, right? That's why they were so afraid of Columbus going out and sailing too far. They're afraid he's going to fall off the end of the earth and never come back, right? Um, What does the Bible say? Well, how about Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 22? Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 22. 
It is he that sinneth upon the circle of the earth. The circle of the earth. What's God saying? The earth is not flat. The earth is round. The earth is like a ball. And again, even as you have these um, um, astronauts and things that are taking pictures from space and things, it's, it's a circle, right? The moon, uh, the moon is not flat. The moon is a circle. All these, all these other planets that are out there. They're, they're circles. They're, uh, they're round, okay? Again, exactly what the Bible said, right? What about gravity? Um, long before Sir Isaac Newton discovered gravity, and the ramifications of gravity. Brother Joel was talking about that this morning, right? Um, you know, uh, an eagle, man, they look really great up there when they're, when they're learning how to fly. But uh, that, first, that first jump off, not too good for the little, little chickies, right? Uh, there's gravity, and they start to fall. And that's why Mama Eagle has to come and get under them and take them back up until they learn how to fly. Um, look, you, you get up on a roof and you slip, you're not just going to stay on the roof <laughs> unless it's flat. Uh, you're probably going to fall off. Uh, you're going to fall off a ladder. You're going to fall off something because of gravity, right? So what does the Bible tell us about this? How about Job 26? Job 26. Job 26. Now here's what's really interesting, right? So Job, of course, we believe is the oldest book that was written it's not the oldest account of what was happening. Obviously, Genesis has the oldest account of beginning with the, the creation and things like that. But Job, the oldest book that was written. Okay, um, So again, Job did not have Genesis, Exodus. Job did not have the, the, the Old Testament books. He didn't have the New Testament books. Uh, but yet, notice what they knew, right? What does Job say? In Job chapter 26... Verse number, number seven, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Hangeth the earth upon nothing, right? Even, even Job and, and them understood there was, again, maybe they didn't understand exactly how it worked, but they understood God had told them about gravity. The earth is, God is the one holding it in place. Uh, even as uh, they understood about the, the seasons and how those seasons worked with the, with the moon and things like this, right? Uh, all of that dealing with gravity and, and the tides and everything. I mean, look, these were things that God had written long before man ever figured it out, right? And if we have this idea, if we can't figure it out, then it must not be true. Well, God's already got it figured out because he's the one that put it into place, right? Um, and so, again, our knowledge about the, the matters of earth um, and, and what we understand compared to God are, we don't know anything. I mean, we really know nothing about our earth, our, our universe, our solar system. Uh, I mean, scientists think they know something, but they really know nothing when you compare it to God, right? And so there's just, there's just innumerable facts that prove the reliability of the Word of God. And so when people say, you know, well, you know, you can't prove that the Bible is true. You don't have to say, well, God says it's his word to prove it. There are so many evidences that prove that the Bible is true. It is the word of God. Look, Corey. Yeah. 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 
About the what? He lost it. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there are so many verses in the Bible that, again, even with, um, you know, the Bible talks about the life is in the blood, right? If, if you don't have blood, you're going to die. But yet they, you know, a couple hundred years ago, they believed in bloodletting. Hey, let's, let's get all the blood out of your body, right? That'll, that'll, that'll clean you. Um, well, that's, that's how our first president died, was through bloodletting, right? Um, you know, you, you kind of want, want that blood, right? Rob? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just again, that, that whole rotation system that God has put into place and, and, and how, I mean, they, they've figured it out. If, if the earth was just one degree off, one way or the other, it'd be uninhabitable, couldn't, couldn't live here. But yet it's just right there, created by an explosion. <laughs> Random chance, right? I mean, it's, come on, right? Something else that's kind of fascinating, not, not even about what the Bible says, but what God did to the Jews through the law, talking about Leviticus is what hands of the running water and not to eat meat that has died from pestilence. Like all those laws protect the Jews from a lot of things that Sure. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. Take some of the people who discovered germs were looking because they read the Bible. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm trying. What was the guy's name? Francis. Um, who? Was it Pasteur? Louis Pasteur or something like that? Somebody. Yeah. Well, even the um, the path through the sea. Um, who? There was a a mariner that uh, said, hey, you know what? He was sick. Uh, he started reading the Bible, and he says, hey, you know, the Bible says there's paths in the sea. And so he went out and charted paths, and, that's, and they still use those maps today of the, the paths that are in the sea because a guy was reading the Bible and said, whoa, there's paths in the sea. Let me, let me find these. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? Um, so we looked at some of these um, infallible facts. Let's look, at some, let's look at some truths here. And again, you could just go on and on about some of these truths, but one of the best ways to prove the infallibility of Scripture is found through the prophecies and the fulfillment of the prophecies. Okay, um, again, the, the the number of prophecies throughout Scripture are just incredible, right? Um, and even dealing specifically with Christ and and Him, uh, not not even dealing with the nation of Israel, but just with Christ, uh, the prophecies and and them coming to pass are just astronomically improbable, literally improbable, but yet over and over and over and over they come to pass, right? Um, Henry Morris said this, one of the strong objective uh, evidences of biblical inspiration is the phenomenon of fulfilled prophecy. Um, because again, the Bible is just, it's unique in the, in the respect among all other religious books, right? Um, Again, they, it, you look at these other, you look at, you look at the Koran, you look at the, the Book of Mormon, you look at many of these other religious books, and you'll find contradictions in them, you'll find uh, 
uh, historical things that are not right, and they are proven that they're not right. Uh, but yet, when you look at the Bible, there's, there's no contradictions, there's no mistakes. The, the history and the historical, the archaeological, it all backs up exactly what the Bible is saying. But even in prophecy, right? Um, and this is why God said, look, if, if someone claims to be a prophet and they're prophesying, they're foretelling the, the future and things, and, and they get one prophecy wrong, one, that means if they, could, if they prophesied 10 times and they just got one wrong, God said they're a false prophet. I mean, you'd be like, well, come on, I got nine out of 10. I mean, right, that's, that's pretty good, 90%. <laughs> I'd take that in school. <laughs> yeah, God said, nope, you're a false prophet and you're to be killed. Because if you get one wrong, it's showing that you're not really of God, right? And so all of the prophecies that we find fulfilled in Scripture, there's none that are wrong. They, they all have come to fulfillment. So we're just, just very quickly tonight, as we kind of conclude this, uh, this section here we're going to be looking at, is we're going to look at basically the prophecy of, of Christ's birth, right? And, um, and we're going to look at basically the timing the nature and the place that was prophesied hundreds of years before, before it ever came to place, right? So just, just three prophecies, right? The, the nature of it, the timing of it, and the place of it. Again, if you can get three prophecies right, you know, hundreds of years before, that's, that's pretty good, right? I mean, if you get one prophecy right, you know, I know you can, if you're living in Ohio, you can get prophecy right all the time. You know why? You can say, hey, tomorrow it's going to be different than it is today. And you're going to be right. It's going to be different. I know. It's Ohio, right? That's not the kind of prophecy we're talking about, though, okay? Um, So let's look at this, right? So let's look, first of all, of the timing of it, right? So the prophet Daniel provides specific time periods, okay? Go to to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Just look the timing of it, right? In Daniel chapter 9, notice in verse number 25. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be rebuilt and the wall even in trouble sometimes. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Uh, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be of a flood. And unto the end of the war of desolations are determined, right? So he, we, we have this famous 70-week prophecy, right? And we always think of 70-week prophecy referring to end times. And yeah, the, the last week refers to end times, but the 69 weeks before that doesn't. It's not referring to end times. It's referring to a specific time of a birth, of something that's going to happen, right? Uh, it's, it's referring to what is going to take place. Uh, and he tells us here, right, uh, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. So not from the time that it was starting to be rebuilt, but from the command for it to be rebuilt would be a certain time period, right? And he tells us, um, shall be seven weeks. And again, if understanding Daniel's reef using the word week here as a period of seven sevens, right? So a week is seven, but it's referring to years. So if you have seven weeks, it's referring to seven times seven, which would be 49 years, okay? 
So from the time that it, the, the command was given to rebuild Jerusalem until the time that it was built, right? To restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks. So it's broken down into different sections. Okay. You have seven weeks. Okay. That's from the time that the temple is going to be rebuilt there. Then you have three score and two weeks. Again, a score is 20. So three score and two is Three score and two is 62. That's right. Very good. All right. Three score and two. So 62. So what's 62 times seven? I'm not a mathematician, so somebody help me out here. What is 62 times seven? A lot. That's not going to work. Come on. What is 62 times seven? 454? Are you sure about that? Oh, my goodness. What did I say? 62 times seven. 434. Calculator says so, right? So from the time that... Jerusalem is rebuilt, then you have 434 years, right? And then what's going to happen? Uh, the street shall be built again, the wall even in troublous time, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. So here you have a time when the Messiah is going to be put to death, right? He's going to be cut off. Again, he says not for himself, but for the people. And by the way, when you go and you read and you'll find when Jesus is entering in the week before his, his crucifixion, as he's entering into uh, Jerusalem and you have all of the people cutting down palm leaves and the disciples getting the coats and laying them down in front and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. And they're proclaiming him king. And then the religious leaders come out and they say, hey, tell the people to stop proclaiming him king. What does Jesus say? Jesus says something very, very important. Rob, he says, if they were to remain silent, even the rocks would cry out. Now, are the rocks going to cry out just to say, Hosanna, Hosanna? No, 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 no. Why did he say that if they remain silent, the rocks would even cry out? Because this was a fulfillment of prophecy. This was a fulfillment of prophecy. At this time, guess what was going to happen? The Messiah was going to be cut off. He's proclaimed king. And then he is crucified. And so if they would not have cried out, Hosanna, if they would not have proclaimed him king, he said, to fulfill prophecy, even the rocks would have cried out. Now, obviously, they didn't have to use the rocks. But he says, to fulfill it, because, again, this is specific time here. Okay? So we, hear, we have this timing, the three score, two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. So, again, all of this sequence of spacing and years, um, we find adding up to the crucifixion of Christ. Right. Um, so we have his his crucifixion, uh, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter seven, Isaiah chapter seven. Where's Isaiah? I'm in Ezekiel. That's not going to work. Isaiah's in there. Isaiah chapter seven. Right. In Isaiah chapter 7, he says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Right? So again, he's given us a a specific time when the Messiah is going to be cut off. But he also tells us how this Messiah is going to be born. Right? That this Messiah is going to be virgin born. Okay? Now again, please, you know, understand there is a difference between virgin born and young woman born. There's a big difference there. There's a lot of young women that have babies every day. There's not any virgins that do. 
Why? Because this was a prophecy. This was a miracle. This was a miraculous event that was going to take place. And that's why we find in Luke chapter 2, in Matthew chapter 1, when the angel comes to, to Mary and says, look, you're going to have a baby. And she says, I can't have a baby. It's impossible. I've never known a man. That says, well, you're going to have a baby. Why? Because this was a fulfillment of prophecy. He would be virgin born, right? Again, I'm going to be pretty honest with you here. To, to, to say that kind of prophecy, you've got to really be trusting God that this is going to come to pass or you're in deep water because this just doesn't happen. So for Isaiah to even say, look, you, this, is, this is the prophecy. This is what God is saying. There is a virgin that is going to be born. This is the sign. There's going to be a virgin born. Uh, there's going to be a child that is going to be conceived and born of a virgin. You're going to call his name Emmanuel, right? So you have the nature of his birth, right? And even the, the place in Micah, in Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter number 5. That's there too, by the way. It's in there. It's in there. You'll find it. In Micah chapter 5. He says, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And think about this. God says very specifically the birthplace that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And it's not just another person being born there's, again, there's a lot of kids being born in Bethlehem. But notice, this ruler is going to be born in Bethlehem, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. This child that is going to be born does not begin there. He is everlasting. He has always been. He will always be. Why? Because it's the Son of God. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus Christ, right? So, again, he speaks specifically of time periods. He speaks specifically of, of how he's going to be born. He speaks specifically of where he's going to be born. Look, there's no other book that can do that. No other book can get... I mean, we're talking hundreds of years before. 500 years, 600 years, 700 years beforehand, speaking specifically of time periods, and this is going to happen at this time, and this is going to take place here, and she's going to have a baby... She's never known a man. She's a virgin, and he's going to be born in this town, and he's going to die at this time. By the way, when the wise men came to Jerusalem and they inquired of Herod, and what did Herod do? Where is he that is going to be born king of the Jews, right? What did Herod do? He went and asked his religious people. What did they do? They went back to the Word of God. Imagine that. They went back to scriptures. And what did they find? Born in Bethlehem. That's why after they found out, they sent, him, they sent the wise men on to Bethlehem saying, oh, the scripture says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Go find out, see if he's really been born. If he has, come back and tell us. They didn't come back, and then Herod sends his army, and they kill, they kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem. Why? Because scripture said, Micah said, that he's going to be born in Bethlehem, right? So again, we have, the, it, it's infallible. There's, there's no mistakes in it. Now, does the Bible record mistakes made? Yes, absolutely. The Bible records mistakes made that people make, okay? It records sin. It records wrong choices. It records those things. But does the Bible have mistakes? No, the Word of God has no mistakes, 
right? It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's trustworthy, right? And that's why we can rely upon it. We know that there's and by the way, that's why it's so important that you, that you have these young people that you've brought tonight, right? It's not the Sunday school teacher's job to teach your children that the Bible is reliable. That's your job. Do you know why many parents don't teach their children that the Bible is reliable and trustworthy? Because they don't know if it really is or not. They're not sure if it is. We have to have a foundation and understand that the Word of God is infallible, it's trustworthy, there's no mistakes in it, we can, we can base our life on it and teach that to our young people, our children, so that they, as they grow older, they can have that same confidence because the world is going to try to do everything they can to tear that confidence down. The world's going to try to say, hey, you know what, if, if, you, don't, if you don't let people that uh, are of the same sex get married, or if you let people that uh, you don't use their gender pronouns and all this kind of, you're haters. No, we're not haters. We're just Bible followers. We're not, we don't hate anybody, right? We love them, and we want to tell them the truth, that Jesus loves them, and that Jesus is the only answer that they can have. The reason why they're, they're, they're searching is because there's something missing in their life and Christ is the only one that can fill that answer. But we have to believe that. Because if we don't believe that, we're not going to teach them. And think about it. Think about how many young people are growing up in churches and after they graduate from high school or get into college or whatever, they're gone. They're gone. Well, that's, that's God's fault. No, it's not God's fault. If we would take our responsibility as parents and grandparents and teach our children, teach our grandchildren the word of God and that they can trust the word of God and they need to go to the word of God every day and learn from it and grow in it, they'd have a whole lot better chance in this world. But that's, that's, not, that's up to us, right? That's why it's so important. Yes, Bring your kids to Sunday school. Yes, bring them to Super Church. Bring them to Master Club. They, they're going to learn those things there. But this has got to be this has got to be really dealt with in the home. That's where it's got to be first. The church is just to help support, right? It's just like it's just like all these archaeological things. They're just showing that the Bible is true. They're just they're just giving validity to it, right? That's all the church is doing. That's all your Sunday school teachers are doing. They're just giving validity to it, right? You've got to want, be the one that really digs down and shows and proves and says, this is why we believe it. The Sunday school teachers are there just to say, hey, it is true. It's true. It's true. It's true. Follow it. Believe it. Teach it. Sunday school teachers only got them for 30 minutes. Well, 45, maybe an hour. But they're not going to teach them a Bible for an hour. They're teaching them a verse. They're teaching them a song. They're teaching them whatever. You have them how long? Every day, right? That's why it's so important that it begins in the home, all right? Um, all right, we're going to stop there. Um, we'll, we'll continue on this next week, uh, looking through this reliability of the Bible, okay? Um, anybody have a very quick, quick question? Like 20 seconds is all you got. I would encourage you to go, go back through and find some other things, right? Think about some of the things we've talked about. Um, go back through, study them out for yourself. Uh, try to find something else. You know, find some other things. Uh, if you find something, send me a link. Hey, check this out, Pastor. Found this. This is really cool. Uh, I, I love looking at stuff. Man, it's just, 
the more things that you can, that you can see and, and see and see and see that just proves and proves and proves, man, the greater your faith is. You know, it just constantly affirms it. It's affirming our faith, right? All right, let's have a word of prayer.